one, two, three. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I think one of them was in sync. Yeah, do you want to try again or are you good? No, it's fine. I'll do. Okay, good. I, I think this week I haven't closed down Skype yet. And, nice, uh, nice. And uh, I've got it recording. So, um, well, I say I've got it recording. Let me just check that because... You know, <laughs> no, I do have it recording. Here we go. So all in sync. Amazing. <laughs> you said that with such confidence in your voice. <laughs> for about two seconds and then it all went to- away. <laughs> total professional. Never-ending professionalism. How's your week been? Yeah, not bad. Oh, God, it just kind of goes into one glob into another, really, isn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, not, nothing nothing major, really. It rained a lot. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> you got a nice a nice little something in the post yesterday. I did indeed, yes. Um, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. Um, it is a... Uh, <laughs> It's a rather, rather floofy avocado cushion. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks. You're, yeah, we, yeah, uh, thank you. We have this ongoing joke in many of our friendship circles about um, Chris's love of avocados and also his love of minimalism and not having anything in his house. Um, <laughs> so I, I take great pleasure in getting stuff for Chris to have to have in his house because <laughs> I know that Chris is such a nice person. He won't just throw it away. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> problem i love the idea of now wherever you put that in your house every time you look at it you're gonna be a little bit angry <laughs> just a little bit annoyed yep. at me <laughs> i just i just looked around and looked into that i wasn't a little angry yeah it's true because <laughs> <laughs> yesterday uh, i just i had some, I don't know, it was about 7 p.m or something there was a, there was a knock on the door i was like oh, that's a bit strange and the neighbors come around sometimes i go down there and obviously the uh delivery driver's thrown it at the floor and run basically yeah, don't want yeah. To catch covid and uh so i opened up the door i think that's a bit strange it's a parcel I, I don't i haven't ordered anything i don't think maybe well, maybe you have you know i've forgotten and i looked at the label it was from amazon and uh and it said chris brown i'm like i never i never wrote chris brown as my name it's always christopher because i'm I don't know snob whatever um, so this definitely wasn't ordered by me i don't know what this is so yeah obviously i break the box open and find the avocado pill um, cushion so yes <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> my minimalism has been ruined yet again yes yes it's my mission in life to destroy your minimalist <laughs> tendencies one one room at a time one accessory at a time <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I've got to try and find a place for it now. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. Maybe a cupboard. I'm not really sure. <laughs> right, right in the middle of the sofa. I would hope. Mm, pride, of, pride of yeah, place. Yeah, sure. Let's say yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not there when I come round next. Like those presents, like family members get you sometimes. You've got to roll out every time they come round. Yeah, the place Auntie Maud's coming. We better get out that horrific box you bought. Us. <laughs> exactly. Up goes the picture again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, in a place every time you visit Harrison, definitely. Oh, good, good. I hope so. It's just such a cute, lovable little fluffy avocado. I don't understand how anyone mm. could could have objections to that. It is. It is very fluffy. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> Hey, I could have bought a bigger one. They had bigger sizes. <laughs> oh, God. It's big enough. <laughs> I was very restrained. I'll really? have you know. I mean, yeah, you yeah. can't see it, obviously, but it's like, I don't know. It's probably like 30 centimetres by, well, it kind of tipped to the top, dips at to the top, really. But yeah, it's, it's big, round, bulbous avocado green with a face. <laughs> a very cute face. Very cute. Yeah, no, it is a very cute face. with little dimples. <laughs> a little smile. Yeah, very cute. Um, yeah. Yes, we were we were having a conversation in one of our group WhatsApps about how Chris doesn't like having anything in his house that he doesn't absolutely need, yep. and how your your living room furniture comprises of literally a sofa, <laughs> a TV stand, and a TV, and that's that's about it, isn't it, really? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and you you were you were showing off the fact that you just bought a lovely new sofa, and how how fancy this new sofa was, and so we were discussing the fact the fact that it needed cushions, and I thought yep. he's not he's not going to buy good cushions on his own. He can't be trusted <laughs> to make that decision. I need to do that for him. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's pretty true, yeah. Yeah, although I, I have to say, I wouldn't have bought an avocado cushion, but, you know, that's just the difference, I suppose. Exactly, yes. And now, every time you look at that avocado cushion, the joy it brings you, you know, is entirely because of me. <laughs> joy, anger, mm, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thin line, let's be honest, it's a thin line. <laughs> It's a very, very thin line, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, no, I was. Somebody did comment a little while ago. Um, are you are you not going to get a coffee table? I mean, that'd be quite useful for, for your living room, wouldn't it? No, why would I get a coffee table for? <laughs> That's madness. I need a coffee table. It's the floor. <laughs> I, I seriously don't get it. Like, why would you fill your house up with more stuff than you need? But I know I'm in the minority there, so uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll just well, carry there's, on. there's definitely such a thing as too much stuff. I will, I will agree <laughs> with you there, and that's usually where I go because I have my wife holding me back from having all the stuff that I want out. <laughs> but there are there are such things as functional items. Like the reason yeah. to have a coffee table would be so sofa. you could put something down on the coffee table. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever sit at, sit at the TV and drink coffee or mm. eat your dinner? Yeah, I drink drinks, but I put them on the floor. <laughs> don't need a <laughs> coffee table. Floor there, don't need a coffee table. <laughs> That's madness. Just takes that room. You have to navigate round it. Hit your knees on it. Don't need a coffee table. It's ridiculous. Uh. <laughs> Well, don't worry. We'll we'll get you there one one cushion at a time. <laughs> Please, no more avo cushions. I don't, the, the irony is, I don't even like avocado. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's not the irony. That's the joy of the joke. <laughs> oh, that's why I keep bringing you avocado-themed presents. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I did enjoy the avocado um, donut from a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was yeah. very nice. I think that was I almost that. exactly a year ago. I think was it, it was about this time last year, yeah. yeah we went to uh, the Crystal Maze in, in London. Yeah, I brought that donut all the way down from Nottingham for you because there's, there's a local <laughs> company called Donuts here in Nottingham and oh. one of their speciality things is a, a donut that's shaped like an avocado. And <laughs> It was the, a very good donut. <laughs> it was a day old because I. The problem is they 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 just sort of like make whatever flavors they feel like making that day. And I kept I kept calling them up on like Fridays when I was seeing you on Saturday or something like that, saying, "Are you sure. got any avocados?" <laughs> no, we don't know what we're doing yet. Oh, <laughs> so it's, I was waiting. I was waiting for months to pull that joke on you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was well timed. I liked it. It's totally worth it. <laughs> <And> the cushion. <laughs> yeah, but the donut came and went, whereas the the, the cushion will be forever. That- that's why I like the donut. <laughs> That's why I like the cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of living rooms and, and TVs and things, yes, um, I've been watching um, Treadstone on um, on Amazon. Ah, Prime yeah, it, Amazon keeps you know every now and again when they decide they really really decide you're going to like a program and they just <laughs> shove it down your throat every time you do yes. anything Amazon related. Like, oh, I'm just going to buy some coffee filters. Yes, here's your coffee filters. By the way, have you heard about <laughs> Treadstone? <laughs> You might want to watch this right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've heard, but we've got a TV show called Treadstone. We think you'll like it. <laughs> it's very much like, obviously, of its namesake of the Jason Bourne movies. Yeah, um, yeah. Lots of angry people staring in the middle distance and fighting a lot. Nice. But I like it. I've, I've seen like a, I think a couple of episodes, but it's really good. I recommend it. But yeah, no, other than that, nothing major really. Been playing some uh, computer games. Played some more um, Red Alert Remastered, which has nice. been very fun. Yeah, I finished the Allies campaign. Actually, I enjoyed Red Alert far more than I enjoyed Command and Conquer. I now remember. Yeah, playing yeah. again. I was the it same. Was I, I I barely played any Command and Conquer when I was younger. Mm. I I played I played skirmishes. I very re- I didn't really do the, the missions at all. I played a lot yeah. more Red Alert. But yeah, no, it was really good fun. Um, the the Allied missions indoors were were awful. <laughs> uh, but I, but I got a, I got an online guide to get through those. Yeah. <laughs> there was only a couple of them, fortunately. Yeah, I have to confess to having looked at online guides when I was. I've I've just finished the Command and Conquer GDI campaign. Oh yeah. 
yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I looked at some online guides for that because because there are some missions where they run, they ask you just to pick like a direction. Like on the on the final mission, they ask you if you want to attack from like the northeast, the south, or the west, or something. Sure. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'll just check a quick guide. And the guides are like, if you're going from the northeast, you've got a great base location, lovely resources, easy little thing to take out. If you go from anywhere else, it's significantly harder. <laughs> your your <laughs> troops will be wiped out. You'll have no resources. You'll have to fight off like nuclear weapons and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> How are you supposed to know that? That's oh ridiculous. my god! It's such an unbalanced game, honestly. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, that oh, I remember the final mission. I played it a few weeks ago. God, it was difficult. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. pain. Yeah, but no, yeah, I've been really enjoying Red Alert. Um, so now I'm, I'm moved on to the Soviets and uh, the the. The, the full motion video sections in between each mission of uh, not disappointing. That guy who plays Starling is amazing. Oh, God. <laughs> he's he's just having the time of his life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's incredible. There's a really good... Um, are you familiar with the Honest Trailers uh, on YouTube? I think I've watched a few, yeah. Yeah, they, they have two series. They do one that's about movies and one that's about games. Oh. The Honest Game Trailers ones did did the Command & Conquer Remastered Edition, I think, this week. I'll put a link in the, in the show. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. It's so funny. They're talking about how basically like, clearly all of the people in all of the cutscenes are just like amdram actors who are out, <laughs> out of work and have it a bunch of military so surplus hard. equipment nearby that's, yeah, that's all so they do. yeah it's totally that and the, i think i mentioned it last week the the, the, the greek general yeah, in, in, in the allies mission is just sort of staring off into space most yeah, of the time just yeah. like you know what kind of role is that right at the end he turns into like i'm going to murder stalin and just places you know tells these soldiers you find to wander off and they've seen nothing and then places this giant rock on his head it's very and then that point he raises his arms like in some sort of you know i've done really well kind of pose it's bizarre yeah. it really is <laughs> Ah, oh, the nineties. They were a strange time. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm obviously continuing that. So uh, yeah, I'm sure hopefully I've had to report that I've completed the um, Soviet missions by next time we speak. Are you playing much uh, online multiplayer? With anyone? Yeah, I played a bit of Unfortunate Spaceman again last night, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played with a bunch bunch of friends and a bunch of randoms as well. Um, and as you can imagine, internet randoms are very loud and yeah. Uh, and yeah, annoying. Um, but that was good fun. Good fun. Um, I did my general thing of screaming and nobody hearing me when I'm dying. Yeah, um, nice. And I'm pretty Standard. sure our, our mate Vince basically murdered me again outside as he does. Um, <laughs> and then as I'm screaming and dying, nobody hears me. And then he goes back inside. He goes, anybody seen Chris? I haven't seen him for a while. You've just murdered me, Vince. You've just murdered me. Yeah, it's it's slightly concerning how easily he slips into that role, isn't it? Y- yeah, it is really, yeah. Because being employed as a civil servant, you've got to, you know, have multiple faces. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, apparently, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the skills you learn. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Ruthless takedown. <laughs> But yeah, no, um, apart from that, played a little bit of Red Alert online, but no, nothing major really. Yeah. Oh no, Vermintide. Yeah, Vermintide as well, actually. Ah, uh, yes, uh, yes. So Vermintide is Warhammer um, universe. You're essentially playing one of four, or you get up to four people in your team, um, co-op, and uh, you're playing um, sort of different um, types of hero. Kind of like Warhammer take on a Dungeons and Dragons party, isn't it, really? You've got yeah. like a melee fighter, a ranged fighter, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Magic user and what have you. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, so you're running around whichever map that obviously you're on at the time, whether it be the city or under the tunnels or whatever, you're just murdering millions of, uh, <laughs> of rat men of Skaven. It's great yeah. fun. Slaughtering wave after wave of these poor guys. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. As they're trying to come up from the sewers, just murder them all on site. And <laughs> um, no, it's really good fun. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy it. It's very hard, actually. It's very difficult. Um, but I do enjoy it. It's, um, yeah, you can't, you can't, it's a bit like Left 4 Dead um, too. You can't sort of leave your party. Um, 
or if you wander off, then you're probably going to be grabbed by a special and hurt badly. The way you play online is um, you have a party of four, mm. and one of you hosts the game, and the other three uh, connect to your server. And then you like you you have like a lobby area that's a bar yes. where you select your missions and you you talk over like Discord or whatever. That's how we do it. And we were <laughs> we were playing a game. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. And uh, three <laughs> three of us disconnected from the game, uh, and the fourth guy <laughs> who was hosting didn't realise we disconnected and just carried on playing. And either our slots were either filled by bots or by just randoms from the internet who rejoined the server. And we were still chatting away on Discord about all sorts of other stuff. And the three of us were sitting here waiting in the lobby, waiting for the fourth player to rejoin us. And we're like, uh, Anthony, are you, are you, are you going to join the lobby anytime soon? He's like, what? I'm playing. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> Why aren't you my about, team? <laughs> and for about half an hour, he'd been playing with other people thinking they were us. <laughs> but we're sitting there waiting for him, like drumming our fingers in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then he ki- I don't know how far through was his game, but he was quite away. He just killed the service and that's all their progress. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's been annoying. <laughs> Random people on the internet, they're the worst. Oh, absolutely. The absolute worst. <laughs> oh, dear me. How about you? How's your week been? It has been mostly centered around clearing out my father's house still. Um ah. I think we're finally at the point where it's finished now and we have the contracts, um, which got done on Friday. So what had happened was we are the end of a chain, basically. So there's a whole bunch of people behind us, um, the people buying our house, the people buying their house, and blah, blah, blah. And everybody else in the chain was ready to go. And we were waiting on the people that we're buying the flat from that my sisters are going to move into. We sent Our solicitors sent the, a whole bunch of questions to the solicitors who were um, selling, dealing with the selling of the flat that my sisters are buying. Um, and it was a whole bunch of questions about, like, the, to do with, like, the leasing and the, 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 the people who own all the flats have, like, a company together that deals with maintenance and all this kind of complicated stuff you get when you're oh, yeah. when you're living in a flat lovely stuff yeah including some information that needed to come from the management company some information that needed to come from like the agm of the last meeting and all that kind of jazz so we've been waiting on this stuff for probably about three weeks maybe maybe longer since our, our solicitor sent the original request for it all i kept chasing and chasing and chasing and like i'm chasing the estate agent i'm i'm chasing our solicitor and i'm just saying like look what what is this information it can't it can't take that long to go through this is no. this is ridiculous because all the other people in the chain are shouting at me sure saying like you know when's this going to happen we need to move and they're talking about completing on that side and then having to wait for my sisters to move so having to put my sisters somewhere else for a couple of weeks or something which is just going to be an enormous pain in the ass oh nightmare so i'm like i'm i'm, I'm emailing everyone every day i'm phoning people and it's just it's just going nowhere they're like yeah we'll put this request in put this request in. and it just seems like really simple stuff but it's just not going anywhere <laughs> and then tuesday morning i get an email from the estate agent saying we've just had the, the the attached email from the seller solicitors and it's basically saying someone else has just come back into the office having been on holiday for three weeks who should have been dealing with it but wasn't and has come in and looked at the list of requests and said okay everything we've done is wrong we don't need any of that we just need to do this 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 sign this form and then we're done oh my god so after so after three weeks of waiting someone came into the office who knew their ass from their elbow <laughs> did it and had it all sorted in like 48 hours it was just so it was it was relieving but also so fucking frustrating at the same yeah, time absolutely. it's like why is this taken three weeks this is fucking ridiculous oh so my solicitors got everything through on thursday and uh, i got them to rush through the paperwork mm-hmm. they personally put it through my letterbox friday morning um so we've got all that signed we're going into the solicitor's office on monday because of course all their offices are closed so we can't really go in properly so we're just gonna have to like drop it off and then hopefully hopefully um we're moving on friday we just have to wait for a few little bits of confirmation but because because we were just waiting on one bloody form yeah now that that's done everyone else is ready so hopefully by this time next week it'll all be all be done and dusted fantastic that'll be yeah real weight off your shoulders yeah 
yeah. So yeah, that's that's been my week has been like trying to get rid of all the big bulky items we can't get rid of and oh, yeah. like sofas and um bed frames and mattresses and all this kind of stuff dealing with um Facebook marketplace and free cycle and people saying, Oh yeah, I'll take that and then arriving and looking at the sofa going, Oh, that cushion's a bit faded, oh that bit looks a bit <laughs> weird. No, I don't think I'll take it. Oh, for God's sake. I'm giving it's you a free. sofa for free for fuck's sake. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> giving it to you for free. We had we had one person because we had a, a double mattress we don't need, and uh, this guy said he'd take it, and he's like, "But I need, I need to lie on it first because I need to feel feel." <laughs> oh no, he didn't. He did, and I'm like, "Okay, fine, whatever." So he comes <laughs> around, pokes it, and says, "Oh no, it's too firm. I don't. I can feel the springs. I don't. I don't want it." <laughs> and left again. <laughs> oh my god! I, I think you've mistaken this for a shop, mate. <laughs> I'm giving this to you for free. <laughs> just, just take it. <laughs> do you think he does that? Do you think he does your trolls Facebook marketplace, just finding places and um, people that are selling like beds and goes around there, just press the Google. No, that's too firm. That's too soft. No, I don't, like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He, but he, he seemed, he seemed to know pretty quickly that it was going to be too firm. He like he walked in and was like, oh no, I don't think that's going to be all right. <laughs> Didn't even lie down on it. Just poked it with his hands. Oh yeah, no, I can feel the springs. That's, that's, too, that's too much for me. <laughs> He's clearly a professional po- bed poker. <laughs> professional pain in the ass is what he was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's mostly been my week, and um, oh, that's that's almost all sorted now. Um, hopefully, the last little bits are being picked up tomorrow morning. Oh, good. Uh, so then we just got to line up all the change of address stuff, registering for utilities, and all that kind of thing. All that, all those fun phone calls. Oh, yeah. so I imagine that's going to be my week next week. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully, the, the, it's Saturday today, so this time next week, hopefully, it'll all be a done deal. Fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> Although I said that like two, three weeks ago. So. Yeah. You can never tell with house buying. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it, it, it was just... The, the stuff that we were waiting on was just such ridiculous little stuff. And I just didn't understand why it was taking so long to get answers to it. And it's... Because there's, there's so many parties involved. There's like the sellers of the flat. There's the solicitors for the sellers. There's the estate agent. There's our solicitors. There's us. And then like everyone's trying to communicate with each other. And there's the estate agent that's dealing with the sale of our house who's getting in touch with the other estate agent so he can chase it up because his people are chasing him. And it's just so many voices, you know, too many too many chefs, not enough cooks kind of situation. Yeah, completely. And it was just it was just ridiculous. And then, of course, this one guy came into the other solicitors who actually knew what the fuck he was doing and it all got resolved within two days. So. <laughs> God for him. <sighs> yeah, quite. I was I was losing my mind. Yeah, <laughs> it was so frustrating. Oh, so this is never very efficient, I find. Oh, oh. God. Just in no rush to do anything. And especially now, I suppose, you can't go in, into the actual office and shout at them. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's no possibility to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, God. buying. I mean, buying our house was a pain in the ass, and I thought this would be a lot easier than that, but how, how mistaken I was. <laughs> Once you've added other, other people into the chain, it just becomes an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be over soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we get on with this thing then? Yeah, let's do it. I think I went first last week. Do you want to go first? Okay, okay, cool. I'll go first. Cool. Uh, a few weeks ago, in May 2020, Poland invaded the Czech Republic. <laughs> what? Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear about this. I <laughs> I know, I know there's a lot in the news at the moment, but no, if, if it had happened properly, you probably would have heard about it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> a, a group of soldiers who were sent to help man a border crossing got a little confused. Their orders were to guard a small section of the Polish-Czech border, which was at the time closed because of the coronavirus pandemic. Unfortunately, they set themselves up on the wrong part of the road. Instead of being on the border, they were in the Czech Republic. <laughs> this was discovered when these soldiers began telling Czech citizens that they were not allowed to visit a church which seemed odd to the citizens because the church was in their country. (laughs) 
Yes, I'm going to the country soldiers telling you you can't visit your own church. It's a little bit odd. <laughs> Once this was reported to the government, uh, some what I can only imagine were quite strongly worded messages were sent between the country's foreign ministers and the soldiers withdrew. Both sides <laughs> refer to this invasion simply as a minor misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> better than all-out war, I suppose. Well, I, I guess so, yeah. They probably had other things to do that day, so they, they decided just to let it slide. <laughs> so this is certainly not the first time that such an incident has happened. So this week on the internet, I've learnt about some accidental invasions. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> Let's start with one that could have gotten quite bad. It involves Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Absolutely. Now, it's fair to say these countries have a difficult history together. Mm. Uh, you could say a troubled one. <laughs> because of this, the border between the two countries is barely noticeable when you cross it. Many people live in one country and work in the other, crossing over many times a day. I myself have crossed over the border once or twice. Uh, the first time I did it was just on a motorway and I had no idea it happened. You, you just, you're just driving along. Uh, that doesn't mean that the border isn't there, however. Something that was made very clear to an unwitting group of Northern Irish police officers who were told to set up a roadblock on one part of the border, but unfortunately placed that roadblock 100 yards into the Republic of Ireland. Now, that would be bad enough, but they then started stopping and searching Irish cars that attempted to drive past them. Now, anyone with more than a passing knowledge of the history of these two countries and their relationships with each other will know why this could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Yes. As it happens, the officers, quote, quickly retreated when they realised their mistake, <laughs> and the only real effect was a few passionate debates between the country's politicians. Local councillors suggested that perhaps the police officers on the Northern Irish side should learn which area they're actually supposed to be patrolling. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they withdrew quickly when they realised. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can just imagine the kind of uh, oh. jabs that were exchanged between the, <laughs> between oh, the yeah. locals and the local police force. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Get out, boys! Time to leave. I think is the uh, yes is the uh, correct overstayed our welcome. <laughs> In 2002, a platoon of British Royal Navy Marines made a spectacular landing on a beach to demonstrate their skills at dawn assaults. Landing 30 odd troops on the beach, they hit the sand running, armed with their SAAT assault rifles carrying 16 millimeter mortars. They took up their defensive positions. They were a little confused, however, by what greeted them on the beach. Their comrades, armed with blank firing rifles, were supposed to be there to attempt to repel their mock invasion of Gibraltar. However, the only people <laughs> defending the beach were some very confused local Spanish fishermen. <laughs> Because instead of landing in Gibraltar, a British territory, they had instead invaded the Spanish coastal town of La Lenena, <laughs> and more specifically, the San Felipe Beach. <laughs> Gotta worry when Royal Marines can't work out where they are. <laughs> <laughs> the, the local town, it turns out, did in fact send someone to deal with the invading force when two police officers were dispatched to have a quiet word with the soldiers who had gotten lost in bad weather. <laughs> Listen, chaps, can you sod off, please? <laughs> a spokesman for the local police said they were told that they must have made a mistake because this sort of thing does not happen very often here. <laughs> You'd hope not, wouldn't you? <laughs> The marines quickly pulled back to their boats and made for Gibraltar, which the locals helpfully pointed out was quite easy to spot, what with its 1,398-foot high rock. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how far were they from the rock? You can see it! <laughs> In, 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 in true British fashion, an MOD spokesman said it was clearly an embarrassing and unfortunate incident. They made their apologies and left. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I would love to have been one of those fishermen there, just, uh, you know, just a boring morning sitting there sorting out yep. the fishing boat. And all of a sudden, the Royal Marines land on the beach, <laughs> carrying 
carrying rifles Forex. and mortars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> throwing smoke grenades and stuff, yeah. and flares everywhere, and causing a right ruckus. <laughs> the War of eighteen twelve saw British and Canadian troops burn down the White House, mm. an incident that for quite some time left America worried about invasion from its northern neighbour. Now, when you think about Canada, you don't think about an invading army, really, do you? You think about politeness and mountains yep. and maple mm-hmm. syrup, but it was a, it was enough of a concern for the Americans. Part of the plan to counter such an invasion, uh, ordered by James Madison, required the army to build a fort on the border between Canada and New York State. The fort, named Fort Montgomery, was duly constructed, but unfortunately, someone had made a bit of a cock-up. For this American fort, designed to stop a possible invading Canadian army, was in fact built in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Built an entire fort in the wrong country! In the wrong country, yes. I don't know how long it takes to build a fort, but you'd hope that at some point along the line, someone would say, hey lads, have we, have we Guys. checked the map? Are you sure this is where we're supposed to be? Wait a minute, that river isn't supposed to be there? My, my favourite thing, however, has to be the Canadian reaction, which was absolutely pure Canada. They actually offered to move the border one mile north to make sure that the shiny new American fort could actually be in American territory. Oh, amazing, they moved the border. Because oh. that's what a polite and civilised country does when it's invaded. <laughs> Imagine if it had been the other way around, what the Americans would have done. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, the Canadians are like, no, the whole country. No, don't worry. We'll, we'll just pull that border back. That's fine. No, don't worry. Don't. We'll redraw it. It's fine, guys. Don't worry. Um, we're, we're sorry. It was probably our fault anyway. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did, in, you did try to burn down the White House, so... <laughs> because, because of the cock-up, the fort is more generally known as Fort Blunder. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it must take. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, when it was first built, when it, when it was first built, maybe probably built out wood. I would imagine it took a fair old while. Like, no, well, if if you look at pictures of the thing, it's it's a pretty solid construction. It looks like you know, like concrete or stone, and it's pretty mm. pretty pretty large as well. It can't have been a a couple of hours worth of work. So you <laughs> know, someone would have picked up on it eventually. But <laughs> oh, I love it. This little one mile boulder on the floor. <laughs> Sticking with the US, but heading south, we come to the US-Mexican border, an absolutely not controversial at all topic right now. Mm-mm, new. So much is made of people illegally crossing this particular border that you would picture it being very heavily fortified and tricky to cross. But, as it turns out, that's not necessarily the case. According to a report from 2014, Mexican military and federal officers had crossed the border without authorization, technically an invasion, more than 500 times in the past decade. <laughs> a rate of nearly once a week. <laughs> It often results in some quite tense standoffs as heavily heavily armed Mexican soldiers pursuing drug smugglers lose track of where they are and uh, cross into America where they're quite quickly met by some very also heavily armed US border (laughs) patrol agents. (laughs) And and a standoff ensues until they retreat. This, of course, isn't a one-sided thing. US federal agents regularly do exactly the same thing, crossing over into Mexico while pursuing drug smugglers and other such activities. The vast majority of the US southern border is desert, with no fences or, much to Trump's upset, walls. Mm. So it's understandable that such things happen. But you would think that modern technology would help in that, right? Yeah. Well, not always. In 2010, we came close to an internet first. A war started because of Google Maps. (laughs) Google got a lot to answer for. They didn't know it was going to be a potential war. <laughs> I know. They, they do have a lot to answer for, you're right. But I'm not sure war has ever been officially put on that list. But no. this, this came pretty close. 
Eden Pastora, a military officer in the Nicaraguan army, was patrolling their border with Costa Rica. As he was going about his patrol, he saw that some bastard had crossed into his territory and planted a Costa Rican flag. He checked on his phone, and sure enough, Google Maps confirmed that that flag was in his country. So he rounded up his men, stormed over to the Costa Rican flag, tore it down, and raised their own flag in its place. As, as right and proper. Happy with their work, they left, taking satisfaction mm. in the job well done. Of course. From their perspective, they had righted the wrong. But of course, what they'd actually just done was march into a neighbouring country, <laughs> pull down that country's flag and replace it with their own. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I think sounds an awful lot like an invasion. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, it could, be, could definitely be classified that way. <laughs> Turns out, shock horror, Google had it wrong. Oh, no. And not just a little bit wrong either. Their data miscalculated the border by nearly three kilometres. <laughs> Fair old fair piece of land. As you can imagine, Costa Rica mm. were not happy with that situation. Thinking the entire story was concocted, it eventually required not only a grovelling apology from the Nicaraguan government and a UN intervention, but also an admission of error from Google that their data was incorrect. <laughs> wow. Incredible. <laughs> Going to war because of Google Maps, that would have been amazing, yeah, wouldn't it? That would have quite something to see <laughs> uh, all of the above incidents so far have involved land borders mm. which can often be unclear and tricky to precisely nail down leading to accidental invasion after accidental invasion so you can imagine how much harder it is to observe a maritime border yeah well one country with great experience of regular maritime border fuck-ups is australia <laughs> There are, there are plenty in its history, but the one I'll focus on was brought to light from a 2014 report. So, despite their naval vessels being equipped with state-of-the-art navigation and mapping software, mm. the 2014 report found that their navy had actually invaded Indonesian waters many times. <laughs> Half a dozen, to be precise, all during one operation. <laughs> oh, one operation. The, the report quite helpfully pointed out that crews intended to remain outside Indonesian, Indonesian waters, and each incursion was inadvertent. <laughs> that makes it all much better. An Australian minister at the time described the incidents as highly regrettable and accidental. However, the Indonesians were not happy with this explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. A spokesman for the Indonesian Navy told reporters, in this day and age, navigation equipments to determine the position of war vessels are very modern. It was baseless for them to say what happened was unintentional or a form of ignorance. <laughs> I think they might have a point, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, you, you would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, modern, modern technology, even 2014, is pretty amazing. You'd, th you'd think they'd have the ability to at least know when they're in someone else's waters. but uh... Yeah... Not so much. I mean, I can, can you imagine turning around the Indonesians invading Australian waters? They, they would not be <laughs> yeah, happy at well, all. absolutely. If there's if there's one country that's going to take their um, their water sovereignty very seriously, it would be Australia, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. So finally, let's finish with the story of Switzerland and Liechtenstein. <laughs> For those who aren't familiar with European politics, Switzerland, despite being right smack bang in the middle of Europe, is still fairly independent from the rest of the continent. It is a member of the European Free Trade Association, but notably absent from the European Union, European Market Area, or Eurozone. Since the mid-16th century, Switzerland has maintained what it calls a policy of strict armed neutrality, which is an incredible term. <laughs> <laughs> I think after the Cold or during the Cold War, they built like... Like hundreds of bunkers across the country yeah, and yeah, yeah. the population go to. They, they can get away with their strict armed neutrality for two very good reasons. One, it's surrounded by mountains and incredibly defensible. Mm -hmm. And two, it still practices conscription with roughly two thirds of the male population being considered fit for service when they turn 18. And of course, they're all armed with Swiss army knives. Of, of course. 
check out our uh, previous episode on that. Amazingly, it's stipulated that military personnel must keep all of their military equipment, including their weapons, at home, which means that roughly 30% of all Swiss citizens are armed legally in quite a major way. Then you have little old Liechtenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Liechtenstein is Europe's fourth smallest country, with a population of around 38,000 and no military. Defence of their nation would fall on their police force, which currently numbers about 87 officers with small arms and a few dogs. 87 officers. As you can see, this is not a fight that would go in their favour. <laughs> not so much, no. I think within the first few minutes they'd probably be uh, surrendering. It would be pretty much game over straight away, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I reckon, yeah, uh, yeah. Luckily for them, Switzerland and Liechtenstein have a long history of cooperation. The Swiss signed a treaty with them in 1919, promising to safeguard their interests, and their citizens abroad can benefit from the protection of Swiss embassies and staff. Huh. And they often represent them in uh, global negotiations if they decide they can't be asked to take part. <laughs> The Swiss, the Swiss will represent them on their, on their behalf. Fair enough. They probably have got the people to take part most well, of the exactly, time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got eighty-seven off police officers. They probably don't yeah, have that many bureaucrats right, yeah. either. Do they? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have thought so. However, this isn't all to say that the two countries, despite being friends, haven't you know had one or two misunderstandings along mm, the years. These things happen. They mostly involve the very active Swiss military cocking up and Liechtenstein <laughs> taking it quite well, as you'll see. <laughs> In, in 1988, the Swiss army shelled Liechtenstein's only skiing resort. <laughs> <laughs> shelled it? Shelled it. <laughs> oh my god. As you can imagine, this could have gone very badly wrong. Uh, but luckily, because of the timing of the shell attack, uh, the only damage reported was actually to a few outdoor chairs in one of their restaurants. <laughs> Can you imagine you enjoying, you know, your apres ski mid-afternoon? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly everything's blowing up around <laughs> you. All of a sudden you're being shelled. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> imagine having to clean that up as well for poor, for poor <laughs> re- re- restaurant staff. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly wiped out, is it? No. It's a giant crater I've got to deal with now. Yeah, you just go outside and deal with that mess, will you? Oh god, what happened? Oh, we just got shelled. It's not so big deal. <laughs> just a Swiss again, you yeah, know how it is. Bloody Swiss army. <laughs> in 1976, 75 Swiss militia troops wandered into Liechtenstein just before midnight when they took a wrong turn uh, on their march. They walked about 500 metres into the country before the locals pointed out that they were in the wrong place. <laughs> Rather than get upset, however, the locals offered them all free beer. Ah. <laughs> I think, to be honest, that's probably the way to deal with an invading yeah, army. <laughs> I was about to say, you know, you've got an invading army. Do you want some free beer, guys? Yeah. You're not, you're not going to be able to mount much of a defence, even against 75 troops, so you might as well just get them drunk. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Way. You've only got 10 more police officers, I mean, jeez. <laughs> In 1985, the Swiss army launched a rocket attack on Liechtenstein. <laughs> Again, accidentally. I'm, I'm seeing a bit of a theme with the uh, with the shelling going on here. Yeah, they they started a small forest fire in a protective forest <laughs> named Banwald. <laughs> Switzerland ended up paying several million francs in compensation for that one. It's <laughs> probably right and proper, really. I don't I don't know what what team was in place to protect that forest, but I don't think they had a plan for a rocket attack. <laughs> no, how'd you deal with that? <laughs> Can't put that fire out while you're under sustained fire. In 1992, uh, Swiss army recruits set up an observation post in the town of Trissenberg, overlooking the fact that that town was actually in Liechtenstein. <laughs> <laughs> what's ours is, is mine, and what's yours is mine too. <laughs> it seems that way. Yes, when you have an army, the other people don't. It's pretty easy to say that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
The, uh, the locals pointed out once again the mistake to the soldiers and they were quickly removed and more formal apologies were sent. However, my favourite has to be in March 2007 when a full company, that's 171 Swiss soldiers, marched into Liechtenstein after getting lost because of bad weather. They travelled more than two kilometres into the small unarmed country before realising their mistake. When they worked out where they actually were, they quickly turned around and made a hasty retreat. <laughs> However... The border is so unguarded between the countries, Liechtenstein had no idea that this had happened until the Swiss called them up to apologise. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, I've got, got something to apologise for. Really? What? <laughs> I didn't know that happened. 171 soldiers march into your, into your country and you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> your 85 police officers are probably somewhere else. <laughs> But my, my favourite thing about it was that when, when they were asked if this was an issue, a spokesman for the Liechtenstein government said simply, ah, it's not like they invaded with attack helicopters. No problem. These <laughs> things happen. Just uh, 171 men? What's the problem? Yeah, there's no helicopters. There's no shells <laughs> or rockets this time. So. <laughs> we got away lightly. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Some accidental invasions from uh, from history. That's amazing. Who knew the Swiss were so so hot-headed? I know. You, you think of them as being very, you know, like, organised and calm mm. and collective, but no, yeah, apparently yeah. They, they just shell away whoever the hell they want. <laughs> Launch <laughs> rockets wherever the hell they want. <laughs> ah, it's only Liechtenstein. They'll be all right. <laughs> they won't care. No, they can do quiet. anything anyway. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I also love the uh, Canadians. Oh, <laughs> just a little one-mile bump around the round fort. Yeah. Don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just redraw the map. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No, no one and, needs and, to know. <laughs> no. And you so know the Americans would just invade the whole of Canada. If oh, Canadians yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. They would have just, just carried on going, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. Screw you guys. You think you can take some of our land? <laughs> We're going to take more of yours. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's very cool. Thank you. No worries. What have you got for us? Right. Although, right now, due to COVID-19, London, like many cities around the world, is a much quieter place than normal. I'm going to tell you about a very famous spot in the West End that is normally thronging with people. If you've ever visited London, and almost certainly if you've ever lived there, or do live there, you may have been to the landmark that I'm going to talk about in this episode. You probably already guessed, but this week on the internet, I've learned about Piccadilly Circus. The modern area we know as Piccadilly Circus was built in 1819 to connect Regent Street with Piccadilly. It also links uh, to theatres on Shaftesbury Avenue, as well as the Haymarket, Glass House and Commentary Streets, which lead on towards Leicester Square. So it's very, very, um, not central, but only central. I mean, you know, it's very connected. Very prominent. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like I say, very busy in normal times if it's not uh, COVID. We're all sheltering in place. (laughs) In normal times, Piccadilly Circus is a busy meeting place, as I say, for tourists and locals alike. In fact, the area itself is a tourist attraction in its own right and also a major traffic junction. So yeah, very, very prominent. Why is this location even called Piccadilly Circus? Well... Back in 1612, I do like talking about the 1600s, I've realised a lot, actually. I don't know why it is, it's just like a, to draw a, this era. Do you have, like, a, a history book of the 16th century, and that's what you use for all of your research? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, just thumb through it every week and find yeah. out a new thing I can talk about. It's like that Friends episode where Joey buys only one encyclopedia, and it's all it's the V encyclopedia, so all of his <laughs> talking like, yeah. topics are about V. <laughs> all my history words. topics are from the 1600s. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back in 1612, uh, a tailor by the name of Robert Baker. Now, he's also referred to as Roger Baker online, um, but I'm pretty sure that's just a typo. Somebody obviously, they, they, people copy each other's texts, and I'm pretty sure this is obviously how it's proliferated. I can't imagine there was a Roger back in the 1600s. Uh, anyway. I hope you're not saying that uh, all the information on the internet isn't infallible. No, I would never dare to say such a thing. Because we'd have to completely reconsider this podcast if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, just don't pretend that's even happened. Okay, okay, moving on, moving on. <laughs> 
So yeah, Robert Baker, we'll refer to him as, purchased the land around the area um, that we obviously now know as Piccadilly Circus, and he built a mansion called Piccadilly Hall. Baker made his fortune from selling stiff, elaborate collars that were in high fashion for men in the late 16th and early 17th centuries. The type of collars I'm talking about, if you look up a picture of um, Sir Walter Riley, mm-hmm. you'll see what I mean. It's those sort of big, stiff, crazy, frilly things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so that's how he made his money. So I'm, I'm guessing he was one of the few suppliers in the country because he obviously made an absolute fortune out of this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine there was much of an industry for those, but I guess, I guess, like you say, almost every fancy picture you see of someone, they're wearing one of those things. So maybe, maybe they were more common. Yeah, one for every day of the week. Yeah, I know. Yeah, maybe they were really expensive, and, and obviously the high society wanted them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Who he knows? made a lot of money doing it. Apparently, fashion's a weird thing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> You never know, in 2021, we'll be getting back. Crazier things. Yeah, for sure. The way this year is going at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll have one that's combined with a face mask or something. Maybe that's cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> see it now. Uh, Piccadilly Hall is obviously long gone, uh, but the name for the area stuck. The circus part comes from a time when uh, there was roughly a round shape uh, road junction where Piccadilly meets Regent Street. And in Latin, uh, circus means circle. Ah. So although I couldn't find any any information about when this roundabout existed, um, it must have been quite a long time ago because obviously um, the, 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 the name circus is stuck as well. So yeah. Piccadilly Circus. I've, oft- I've often wondered why things are called circus like that. And I guess, yeah. I guess the circus is called a circus because it's in a round... Tent. I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah ah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so every day. You could just stop there, to be honest. That's probably. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> On, on the eastern side of Piccadilly Circus um, is the famous statue of Eros, uh, which was erected in 1892 to commemorate the memory of Anthony Ashley Cooper, who was the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. Now, Shaftesbury was a politician, a philanthropist, and a social reformer, and was known for his efforts to reform child labour um, practices um, of the time, as well as securing passage of the Lunacy Act of 1845. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, quite. Whilst we were probably balk at the term today, uh, the act was the first British statute to treat the insane as, quote, persons of unsound mind rather than social outcasts. So quite a march forward for rights, um, even if obviously the Lunacy Act, we would uh, probably balk at the use of the name today. Was that the thing I, I mentioned when we were talking about Queen Victoria's assassination attempts? Yes, it probably was actually, yes. They started convicting people as lunatics because they're clearly mm-hmm. mad for trying to kill the, kill the Queen. Yeah. Who would yeah. ever want to kill the Queen? Just a madman. Yeah. <laughs> Tickling the ways they were going about doing it. Well, indeed, they were pretty mad. <laughs> I think that was one of our first episodes, wasn't it? So if you haven't listened to it, you should check it out now. Very good. Very funny. <laughs> but yeah, so we may not, we may not obviously like to call it the Lunacy Act, but that's what it was, and he, he pushed that through. Uh, Shaftesbury is also known for his efforts to reform child labour practices, and in 1842, he had his Mines Act passed which impl- um, outlawed employing women, girls, and boys under the age of 10 from coal mining. Yeah. Now, to our modern ears, 10 years old for a boy going down a mine sounds ridiculously young. But uh, Shaftesbury, on his, when he'd been doing his, his research before the act was passed, he found boys at the age of four and five working down um, underground in, in mines. So, obviously, at least this was a step in the general right direction, if not um, what we would consider today to be um, enough. But yes, for his time, obviously, he was very forward-thinking, um, and he... He helped pass a lot of laws um, that, that made things better. Regardless, when Shaftesbury died in 1885, he was so celebrated that a memorial was commissioned within the year and to be built by a man called Alfred Gilbert. Gilbert actually took a whole five years to ponder what type of memorial should be um, created to, to celebrate Shaftesbury's life. So it just took a year to, to commission him, but he took five years to think about it. I bet he was paid by the hour. <laughs> like my oh, bloody twisters. <laughs> 
I come onto his pay in a minute, actually. He's <laughs> not probably not. Probably didn't work out as well as your solicitors, I suspect. <laughs> Whilst the statue is popularly known as Eros, it is in fact his twin brother, Anteros, and the god of requited love. Gilbert is reported to have said Anteros represented, quote, reflective and mature love as opposed to Eros or Cupid, the frivolous tyrant. When the statue was first was finally cast, obviously five years later, um, when it was given to the, uh, to the, to the um, people to do that, to the company to do that, it was the first one in the world to be cast entirely of aluminium. But um, for whatever reason, the fountain that it stands on is actually cast of bronze. So I don't know why. I don't know if maybe <laughs> aluminium was too soft and they thought people would dent it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't afford the whole thing to be aluminium. Maybe. <laughs> Who can say? Um, when, when, when Gilbert was designing the um, the fountain and the statue, he had the idea that people could drink from it. Um, <sighs> so that obviously they could come along and, and drink, uh, you know, for, to quench their thirst. And so he designed cups that were chained to the base so people could come along and do that more easily. They wouldn't have to bring their own cups. Oh, I bet that was lovely and sanitary. Oh, yeah. Especially in the mid-1800s. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. However... In typical British style, um, soon after the statue was unveiled in June 1893, the cups were stolen. No. <laughs> no, I know. I'm shocked. Shocking. <laughs> Who could have thought such a thing would happen? No one, no one could have predicted that. No, no, no. It's absolutely un- entirely unpredictable. I haven't actually read this down, but I also read that for a while after it was unveiled, um, it was graffitied a lot. <laughs> um, so the government actually had to employ a uh, park ranger to protect the statue. Oh, God. People are the worst. The more things change, isn't it? I know. <laughs> that kind absolutely. of thing was also happening a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So in addition to the statue being defaced and the cups being stolen, it actually probably wouldn't have mattered too much about these cups being stolen because um, Gilbert didn't actually design the base of this, this statue too well. He made it uh, too narrow. Oh, God. So what this actually led to, the fountain would splash water everywhere, um, which made the area around the, uh, around the statue a muddy pit. <laughs> So not only have you lost your cups, it's a complete mud pit. Um, so not really somewhere you want to be able to go and get a refreshing cup of water, I would say. At least he spent those five years, you know, carefully planning everything out. Yeah, yeah. He spent. He used that time usefully, I think. <laughs> 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 but possibly Gilbert didn't really care uh, because although he was paid £3,000 which yeah. is some £390,000 in today's money Jeez. obviously he was commissioned with that money and he had to um, design it and build it yeah. um, the statue actually cost £7,000 to make in the oh end oh my god <laughs> so some some £916,000 today so quite a big difference over three times the amount that he was paid oh my god <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he became extremely heavily in debt due to this. <laughs> I can't imagine he made too many friends either. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, he actually fled to Belgium where he spent the next 25 years living. I don't know why he chose Belgium. Maybe, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he felt he never did enough to commemorate Lord Shaftesbury's life. And actually, Gilbert eventually thought the fountain and statue should be melted down and sold to build and run homeless shelters. Um, but obviously, that idea was never taken on, and uh, yeah. we have the statue today in Piccadilly Circus. The statue and fountain were originally situated in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, uh, but moved in 1922 due to the construction of the tube station, which I'll come on to in a little while. It was re-erected some nine years later in 1931, only to be moved again to preserve it during World War II. In 1939, the government moved the statue of um, to, to a place called Egham in Surrey, uh, but left the base in place. <laughs> Obviously, it was, maybe it was, wasn't muddy by this point, I don't know. But they, <laughs> they left the fountain base in place. Uh, so imagine turned the fountain off too, and yeah. they basically just boarded it up and left it there. So obviously it survived, fortunately. Yeah. But yeah, a bit more dangerous. Obviously thought more of the statue than the base. Or maybe they just <laughs> moved the statue a lot easier, I don't know. <laughs> maybe the base was heavier and they couldn't be both. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Maybe it was solid bronze, I don't know. <laughs> 
No, it just That'd says here fine. to move the statue. I'm not, I'm not lifting yeah. that. That's heavy. Oh, it's, not, it's above my pay grade, mate. I can't move that. <laughs> just board it up. That's what I reckon. Doesn't say anything here about a base. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Not on my paperwork. <laughs> uh, Antros was moved to his current location in 1947 after World War II, with the arrow pointing in a totally different direction. So there are a number of myths around where he's pointing his arrow and why, uh, but obviously they're just they're just wrong, basically, because it's been moved three times. The myths are completely, completely wrong. One of the popular myths you might hear is that uh, his arrow is aimed up Shaftesbury Avenue in a, in a sort of doff of the cap towards um, towards the philanthropist Earl. But obviously, it is just that, literally a myth. So was it just randomly placed down? There was no no real reason for which way it's pointing? Um, they never really said why it was placed in that direction. Um, it was just, I guess, you know, the workman just, you know, points yeah. up that road, I don't know, works. <laughs> or maybe, right. maybe the person overseeing it thought it should point up the road, I don't know. But yes, not <laughs> oh, for the dude. reason that everybody thinks. Amazing. <laughs> and talking of the, the underground station the reason that Antaros was actually moved um, the underground station at uh, Piccadilly Circus was first opened in uh, on the 10th of March 1906 and it was opened by the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway Company and today it serves the Piccadilly and Bakerloo lines which obviously um, come under the London Mayor nowadays the station by virtue of its location has always been very popular a year after it opened in 1907 uh, it served 1.5 million passengers wow. which rose to 18 million um, in 1922 and obviously has continued to ride since then that's incredible yeah totally in 1922 it was decided to construct an entirely subsurface booking hall and a circulating area that we know now because the lifts down to the platforms just couldn't cope with the large numbers of passengers that were continuing to grow i believe there was huge queues yeah at the time were. basically yeah work started a few years later in 1925 and took three years to complete um, obviously this is a massive undertaking um, and the new booking hall um, sub- subservice booking hall opened on the 10th of December 1928 the new station cost half a million pounds at the time wow over 31 million pounds in today's money oh my god yeah now, it sounds like a lot of money but I mean that's a lot of work to do and they've yeah. dug new tunnels and, and, and so 31 million pounds even in today's money is pretty pretty good deal I would have said I, th- I think we take the idea of having a full railway network underneath a major city just kind of a, a bit in its stride, but it is it is mm. an incredible undertaking when you think about it. It and really like is. The, the engineering and the, the mechanics involved in it are just ridiculous. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I haven't talked about this here, but the um, obviously Crossrail project, which has kind of <laughs> been delayed, and who knows what's going to happen with COVID now, how, yeah. how, how much longer it's going to be delayed for. But, uh, I mean, that's like the biggest engineering project in Europe, I think. Cause it's, yeah, it's an absolutely incredible uh, amount of work. Um, and like you say, over a functioning city. Yeah, <laughs> not, well, not, not just any functioning city either. No. City, city like London, which is, yeah. you know, however many millions of people every day. Completely. And, uh, and obviously all of the previous things that I've you know I've been buried or dug into the uh, into the land around under the city yeah yeah it's a, it's a massive engineering task absolutely um, but yes yeah, so they, they spent 31 million um, in today's money and uh, I would say it's pretty cheap considering what they managed to do uh, <laughs> they uh, obviously um, dug new a huge new tunneling complex um, for the for the trains and what have you and uh, had a reinforced concrete roof supported on seven steel columns at the center of the ellipse and um, with a further 50 columns arranged um, in a double colonnade around the ticket hall to support everything support the road above basically yeah yeah and the road above is only nine feet above um where you where you stand nine feet yeah yeah and 2.74 meters it's very small distance above the ticket hall uh, you know so above yeah, your head basically yeah, yeah. When, you're down, when you're on there wowzers yeah it's pretty incredible um i actually went i don't think it was i think went with you to a different hidden london tour but i went i went, went to a hidden london tour last year of piccadilly circus underground station um and it was it's run by the london transport museum and you can you can book up and do these uh, they run fairly regularly and it was absolutely fascinating yeah we um we did charing cross i think didn't we yes that was it yeah yeah totally they, they, they're absolutely i mean they're amazing tours they're really good if yeah yeah 
absolutely. Yeah, once we get out of lockdown, if, if you're um, if you're interested in the underground or, or the history of it, then I would say I mean, we'll leave a, a link on our website, if, um, or you can search for it as well. But they're really fan- fascinating tours. And whilst I couldn't find anything about it online, um, I do believe that the architects and the builders actually created a full-size mock-up of Piccadilly Circus, the above-ground area, um, out of wood in a warehouse to test the steel structure that is actually you know now essentially the underground station oh under the road yeah, yeah that it all sits on because they wanted to make sure obviously that well partially they wanted to make sure that it would work what they were trying to do yeah and that when they built it they could move it obviously they could cut it up and move it in situ um, and you know straight over to Piccadilly Circus and, and reduce the amount of time that it would take to um, do all this engineering work because yeah. obviously even back then it was a huge busy area yeah the disruption uh, is just off the charts isn't it? it exactly yeah so they had to dig it all up obviously to get everything in there and so they didn't want to spend too long doing that they spent three years doing it in the end um, but obviously this this reduced the amount of time having this full um, replica of Piccadilly Circus um, in his warehouse. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, of the, the whole junction, absolutely bonkers. Um, I, I just I often I often think about stuff like that, and you think you know someone someone has to sit down and, and calculate mm. it needs to be this thick this strong you've you've yep. got to be very sure of your calculations oh yes in those days and, and in the 20s they wouldn't have had like computer simulations nope. or nope. anything like that to help them with any of that that must that must have been you, you've got to be really freaking confident in what you're doing to then dig yep. underneath all those buildings and that's right absolutely and it's, i mean there's obviously a road junction with lots of traffic and, and yeah. you'd imagine that they would think the road traffic would increase in the future based absolutely, on what, they, yeah. what they'd seen in the past and yeah it's Totally. All that um, very heavy road traffic running around on top of it. Yeah, you, you're totally. You've got it's to be amazing. very good with your calculations, like you say. I'm very sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I remember from the tour uh, was that the orange pillars in the ticket hall weren't actually supposed to be painted orange. My memory is maybe playing tricks on me, and it may not be completely right. Um, but if anybody knows for certain, they can obviously tell us. Please do um, if, I, if I've got this wrong. But I think they were originally bronze pillars. Wow! And in fact, uh, the Baker Street and Waterloo Railway spent a lot of money on the architecture, sort of fitting out the the, the Piccadilly Circus underground station because they they considered it to be um, the heart of the British Empire, the heart of London, the heart of the British Empire, and so they wanted to show off what an amazing job they could do so they, they the fit out of Piccadilly Circus is all sort of you know high quality marble and bronze yeah, and, and yeah. It's, it's really I mean it's, it's beautiful it's all underground obviously um, it's, but it's beautiful if you take any time to look at it it's, it's absolutely incredible so yeah this orange paint <laughs> for whatever reason they decided to apply it in the 1970s and obviously the 70s um, all the crimes against Hastings and Eastersea were done in the 70s yeah, yeah. so yeah so that's, that's <laughs> obviously what, whatever reason they decided to do I don't know if it's cover up marks or dents or whatever but yeah it was done and we live with it today and I believe again I don't really remember exactly what happened but I think this orange paint isn't just normal orange paint I don't know if it's full of lead or something but basically they can't just remove it it's really difficult to remove this orange paint so they haven't they've left it in place I think it would just it would just I think it's either ruined the the surface of the the pillars or it's too um, dangerous to remove obviously with such a packed area they can't really do it safely Um, but for whatever reason we we are today stuck with these horrendous orange pillars that shouldn't look the way they do Um, but yeah blame the 70s yeah like you say not a good decade for architecture choices was it no not at all absolutely awful but yeah like I say um, really high quality materials in, and there's some of the art as well there's also I think a clock in there which maybe doesn't work anymore but it sort of it was it, it sort of showcases all of the um, major areas of the British Empire and what have you so yeah they really went went to town on the architecture the yeah. sort of 1930s um, kind of uh, architecture in the in the underground station there so if you when you're there next um, obviously I do as well I rush through there but uh, it's, it's pretty pretty impressive to take a look take a moment and look well I was, I was just thinking that I wonder how many people who 
you know maybe even travel there every day mm. and how many how many millions and millions of people go through and how many actually have any idea that any of that stuff's there because they're probably just yeah. not not looking for it just you know focusing right. on where they're going or looking at their phone or, or whatever or reading a paper exactly just want to get through the station as fast as possible the amount yeah, of people yeah. who just who just walk straight through that kind of stuff yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, but no going on these london underground tours there's quite a few of them actually I, i'm a bit of a bit of an underground nerd now i think but uh <laughs> yeah they're really good fun actually you get to see areas of the stations where where obviously the public don't normally get to go so it's really good fun yeah that that one we went on was amazing yes like, uh, it was it was really cool and we we went on to the closed platform where they do filming for um yeah. any any like movie or anything that has that, that has a scene set in the london underground and they'd filmed a bit of the james bond movie there and um mm. all, all that kind of stuff yeah no it's absolutely fantastic yeah. and, and the different stations obviously some of them been closed um, and so they're still used for like engineering bases and stuff but uh, yeah they're really good so i'll leave a link on on our website um, we love the internet.co.uk um in case you're interested in, in going in more normal times i yeah. thoroughly recommend yeah. it i'll stick it in the show notes as well for people ah fantastic in your podcast app of choice excellent uh, but yeah getting back to piccadilly circus itself the location is also famous for its illuminated advertising signs yes the first lit up advertising hoarding um to be put up was in 1908 and was for perrier sparkling water <laughs> very appropriate <laughs> oh yes it, it was um as you can imagine um lit with light bulbs um, which considering it was 1908 must have been extremely inefficient yeah <laughs> both power and cost wise yeah yeah heat God. everything I mean the power required to generate the, the, for those light bulbs and the, the cost of running them I mean it must have been ridiculous <laughs> monstrous monstrous absolutely but yeah I mean it must have been worth it for Perrier because if nothing else obviously it was the first time it happened so it must have been a very unusual sight and uh, garnered the company lots of free publicity yeah I suppose and you can yeah, you can imagine that sort of high traffic area as well yeah, around Piccadilly sure. Circus. Um, they they would have um, advertising too. Must have been quite the spectacle. Yes, I reckon so. Absolutely. Uh, the next major innovation in illumination, illuminated advertising, came in 1923 when Bovril, yep, the company that brings you the meaty, salty drink, which, according <laughs> to Wikipedia, at least can be made with milk. Oh no! Who would really? make that with milk? Yeah. Oh. Okay, you need to explain Bovril to our, our oh. non-English listeners. Oh, I've got a little piece on Bovril. Okay, it good, captured good. my my. my <laughs> It's amazing. It's honestly, I, it's total, total, complete movement away from Piccadilly Circus, but it just captured my, yeah, my mind. Yeah, this really you, did. you've got to explain Bovril to people who don't know it. Essentially, it's a very British. Um, I've never had it, I don't think, but it's essentially a beef drink, and you can use it in all sorts of different things. It can be a drink, which, which to my modern ears sounds really bonkers, but it is. Um, but it also can be used stock, um, gravy, other things as well. But yeah, according to Wikipedia, apparently you can make Bovril, Bovril drink with, um, with, with milk, which oh, just God. turns my stomach. Even thinking about it yeah it's Blah. it's it's sold as a spread basically like marmite or vegemite but it's beef based mm. rather than vegetable based and yeah as well as as well as putting it using it as an ingredient for cooking or spreading it on toast or whatever the the way it was originally intended to, to my knowledge anyway was mm. literally just putting it in a mug with hot water and turning it yes. into into a beefy drink yeah absolutely God, why and would you put milk in there yeah, yeah i don't know and if you're completely bonkers and you put milk in oh. with it what God, that's Hot horrific. milk and beef drink. Oh, <laughs> I just. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully, you're not eating lunch while you listen to this. But oh, I was going to eat lunch after this. I don't think I will now. <laughs> 
Oh, but yes, awful. you're absolutely right. It is. It is. It is like thick paste, like 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 Marmite. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But beefy. So yeah. But they, they, get back to Peter for a second. Basically, they were the first ones to advertise using neon signs. But we'll, we'll move again away from illuminated advertising for a moment. While I go back into Bovril because it really is quite amazing. So yeah, I'm going to divert here and have, I've had a quick look at the, the history of Bovril. <laughs> it's quite strange. So Bovril, get this, was originally called Johnston's Fluid Beef. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that does not sound appetising, does it? <laughs> fluid beef. Oh. Johnston's fluid beef. Yeah. That has All to kinds be a of better way to right name there. that. Well, you think, wouldn't you? So oh. it was invented in 19, sorry, 1871, it was invented, by a Scottish guy living in Canada, and he was called John Lawson Johnston, hence Johnston's fluid yeah. beef. Oh. I can't imagine why it was rebranded as Bravo some 15 years later. Uh, but it, it took 15 was. years? Yeah, yeah, 15 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. God. Obviously, PR disasters took a lot longer to happen in 1800s than it does now. And the best thing is, presumably, that was the best name they came up with. So I wonder what yeah. else they came up with that they rejected. Oh, God knows. Johnston's <laughs> fluid beef. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh anyway. that's so bad. <laughs> it's so horrendous. Isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, Napoleon apparently ordered a million cans of beef for his hungry army back when he was obviously alive and marching around and taking over various European capitals. Mm, yeah. Because clearly keeping meat chilled and safe to eat back then was a, was a significant, Tricky. if not impossible challenge. It was down to Johnston with his fluid beef to provide this beefy drink to Napoleon's army. I'm not, I mean, he was a Scottish guy living in Canada, but obviously Canada was a dominion of the British um, Empire at the time. So I'm not quite sure how long he was able to supply this to Napoleon's army for because at some point obviously the British turned on him yeah I was going to say that <laughs> sure that would have created a security issue <laughs> yes absolutely so why are you feeding our, our enemy's army guy, dude anyway <laughs> even if you are a Scottish guy living in Canada you still have, <laughs> have control over you so I don't know I don't, I don't know I never found out why actually how he you know if he stopped doing that but uh, yeah at some point I'm sure he did but according to Unilever the multinational corporation that now owns the Brovel brand on Christmas Day in 1902 Captain Scott and Ernest Shackleton quote supped on a cup of Bovril after a chilling four-hour march in the South Pole. Now, that's pretty much an understatement, I would say. A chilling four-hour march. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit freezing. A bit more than chilling. Yeah, absolutely. But apparently they sucked on the, uh, on the, on the, on the cup of Bovril's, cup, cups of Bovril, sorry, uh, back in 1902. They don't mention in this um, in this webpage uh, what happened to Scott mm. or if he drank his cup of Bovril again on his second ill-fated Antarctic expedition. <laughs> I suspect maybe, you know, just brushing that one under the carpet if he did take it with him. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe he didn't take it and that's why I didn't go so well yeah maybe yeah yeah <laughs> didn't have yeah, their they refreshing did, they did. Uh, beef liquid <laughs> it's fluid beef fluid beef oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Bovril was apparently drunk by soldiers during World War One. Obviously, it's a very wartime drink mm. and gives them, you know, a taste of home and, and also, I guess, some meaty nutrients. Yeah, des- desperation's know. a funny thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, and, yeah, and I guess nothing, nothing else. It was a taste of home for them. <sighs> I also didn't know this, but apparently, Bovril is favoured by many generations of British football fans. Um, I'm not a football fan, so this is why, probably why I don't know it. But it keeps them warm while they're watching their games. Oh. <laughs> God. So even now, apparently, they're drinking it. A stadium full of people supping down on their Bovril. <laughs> Watching football. Uh, that's possibly the most British thing I've ever heard. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, God, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but back to Unilever, who say that three and a half million jars, so this, this thick... Um, yeast-like paste that you mentioned before, three and a half million of 
bottle jars are sold every year in the UK today. And it's also extremely popular in Malaysia, Singapore and China. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So I guess the British must have, um, certainly for Malaysia and Singapore and obviously China back in the day, we I guess we obviously introduced this to the people. And they yeah. It. Well, I, I, I see it most often in South Africa when I'm, um, it's it's quite oh, popular over there. Um, obviously, right. you know, British, old British colony and all that. Yeah. Um, so I, I know they love it over there, but it's it's not usually a drink. <laughs> it's, it's more like a spread. <laughs> Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, China, that that, that surprises me. Oh, yeah. gross. Malaysia, oh, China, disgusting. yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I've never had it, but yeah. Maybe I should try it out, but I'm thinking after Johnson's fluid beef, I'm not, I'm not really no, up for it. No. Don't, don't drink it, that would be my advice. <laughs> put it put it on oh, toast. Oh, no, I don't think I want a whole jar to put on toast. Oh, <laughs> beefy stack in the morning, I'm anything worse. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, oh. oh brat. Well, yeah, so we've completely off my phone here. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's no problem at all. <laughs> well, actually, that's what I was going to say. I haven't written this down, but one thing, one when I was looking around, obviously, for this information on Bovril, which has got nothing to do with Piccadilly Circus, <laughs> apart from the fact they were the first to, to uh, illuminate their, new, their, yeah. their advertising in neon signs. <laughs> but um, I, I was looking around, and there was um, one, obviously, I don't know how old it was. It looked like from maybe the 1920s or something, this advert, this uh, picture. And it was of a... Of a <laughs> of a beef cow leaning out of a, of a, of a cow shed with them um, i guess was the farmer walking up towards it and uh, the, the beef cow was saying something like um good sir am i ready for bovril <laughs> i was like oh my god it's horrendous god the olden times were the worst yeah pretty much we've all moved on slightly but yeah Amazing, oh. but yeah, it's got it's got apart from apart from the first hoardings of, of neon lights, it's got very little to do with Bovril. But yeah, so you just, you just, just aside there, you fell down a Bovril rabbit hole. Is what you did. I did indeed. <laughs> to be honest with you, I might have to look into, into yeast spreads in the future for a future episode because it was just so bonkers. They, in fact, at the height of the Bovril Empire. Again, I haven't written this down. I'm doing it from memory, but before it was um, acquired by Unilever, the Bovril Empire actually owned like the most like the most farms in Uganda. No, Uruguay. That was it. The most farms in Uruguay for beef production. It was oh insane. God. Is that how much? That's how much they produced. That's how much it was loved around the world. Yeah, I had no oh, the idea. The British Empire, yeah, took bovril everywhere. <laughs> well, I know what I'm sending you next. I'm sending you a big old oh jar my of bovril. No. I don't want a jar of bovril. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh anyway, back to Piccadilly Circus. Where <laughs> I started with this uh, before this rabbit hole. The longest running illuminated sign in Piccadilly Circus is for Coca-Cola and has been in place since 1954. The Coca-Cola adverts switched to digital projectors in 1998 and is now made up of some 774,000 pixels. Wow. From, uh, I think there's some giant LED um, projectors, basically, yeah, yeah. right now. Interestingly, all the buildings in Piccadilly Circus used to display adverts, but sometime, I don't know when, the Crown Estates banned um, advertising from their buildings that they own. So now, thankfully, probably... <laughs> We're down to one, just one giant illuminated board. So it's not like uh, Times Square anymore. No. It's just literally one board. The only notable time when the illuminated advertising has been switched off was during World War Two, when Churchill ordered that the blackout, um, the blackout, to muddle the logistics of the Nazi bombing raids on the city uh, between 1939 and, strangely. 1949, so 10 years. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they were still rationing electricity, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. For, for, for four years after the uh, the war ended. Uh, but yeah, it was actually 10 years that it was blacked out for. Other than that, the lights have been switched off uh, during Churchill and Princess Diana's funerals. <sighs> so you know you've made it, don't you? When, you, when you're having, your, when you're having the hoardings <laughs> at Piccadilly Circus switched off in your honour. That's a select group right there. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and, and then at the time, it was really easy during Earth Hour, WWF yes. Earth Hour, yeah, yeah. Uh, to highlight, obviously, the destruction of nature and, and the, the, the destruction of the planet that we're uh, all waging. Um, so, yes, that's the, about the only times. But, yeah, to have it switched off during your funeral, I'm not sure I'd really care about that, even when I'm alive. No. But, yes, what, what high honours indeed. <laughs> The last thing I'll mention, uh, and you'll have to look out, and I'll have to look out for this when I'm next in Piccadilly Circus, is there is a disused police box, police phone box, located uh, to the west of the junction near Piccadilly and Regent Street. Hmm. Think of this as a mini TARDIS uh, that's used by, by Doctor Who. It's a tiny little thin toolbox, basically. And this uh, one was specifically um, a toolbox that was designed to be used by trusted members of the public to call the police if they needed help. Uh, and I read that it was to do with um, if there was a sudden bout of illness or a lady was pregnant and needed some assistance. <laughs> I mean, what a strange thing to have a call for the police for. If a lady anyway. is in distress and needs yes, a man a to come and help her. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> but it was only my trusted members of the public. So you had to have this bout of illness or this pregnancy issue when, when, when somebody was trusted nearby. Yeah. Otherwise you, you weren't getting any help. Do you think if they phoned up and they said, are you a trusted member of society? And they said, no, no, not really. They just hung up on them. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Find a gentleman and phone us back. <laughs> Yes, you've stolen that key, sir. I cannot talk to you. <laughs> but yeah, basically they would be put through to the central police station. I don't know where in London where that was. I'm, I'm guessing somewhere relatively nearby. But yeah, if you're out, of luck, you're out of luck if there wasn't that trusted person sitting around, or or I suppose a policeman perhaps had a key as well. So yeah. um, if they weren't loitering around, you're out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> But these boxes started to appear in the UK from 1891. I believe it was actually in, in Glasgow where they first appeared, and they were painted red. But obviously, once they made it down to England, they were they were turned into blue, huh. and they were replaced um, with the emergency 999 system yeah. in the 1930s. So they, they went out of use. But this one actually in Piccadilly Circus is Grade Two listed, so obviously it's going to stay there for a good old long time yet. And what I love about these boxes, which I didn't, I've never even seen them before until this picture um, when I was researching this, but they had uh, lights on top of them, and they could be flashed by the Central Police Station. To get the attention of nearby officers to come and talk to them. <laughs> How good is that? Like a paging system. Yeah, pretty much. You see this blue light flashing away. That's amazing. Um, or, or, or whatever type of light. I don't know if it was blue, but yeah, but this type of light flashing away. And uh, obviously, they didn't. Back when these boxes were used, they didn't have radios or any kind of form of modern communication. So they did what they could, and uh, yeah, that's how they signaled they needed uh, to speak to a policeman. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, next time you're in London, maybe check out uh, Piccadilly Circus, maybe take a closer look, maybe the Underground Station or any of the items I've spoken about today, and uh, and not just let them pass you by. Amazing. Like I say, the, the thing I love about London is there's so much history and so many stories, yeah. and I, I'm as guilty as anyone else when I go to London if it's for work, you know, I'm bustling around from oh, one place totally. to the other, not really paying attention, but it is nice yeah. just to... to, to stop and look around at the history that's involved in that city it, it is yeah it is bonkers it is fascinating isn't it well there we go i look yeah. forward to the uh, future episode on bovril <laughs> <laughs> i might combine it with uh with a, with a, with a feature on marmite you never know <laughs> <laughs> oh god i can't i can't stop thinking about that fluid, know, fluid johnson's beef. fluid beef oh it's awful that's a thought isn't it oh god who thought that was a good idea <laughs> Johnson himself, he obviously had a lot of fluid beef he to give away. Oh, it's a perfect example of when the boss likes something and no one's brave enough to tell him he's wrong. <laughs> Actually, I think it was because um, his, his son obviously took over the company 15 years later uh, and he got changed. But first, yeah, yeah. First, first thing on the agenda. <laughs> We're renaming this company, boys. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I guess it'll do for an episode, huh? Yeah, I think so. 
Smashing. Well, thank you very much for downloading and listening to this week's Wheel of the Internet. Uh, if you have any stories of your own to do with Bovril or accidental <laughs> invasions in history or anything else that we've spoken about in this episode or any previous episode, please do get in touch. Uh, you can find us on wheelofthenetnet.co.uk and there are links there for all of our various social media presences around around the web. Uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and all the usual places and there's also email addresses on our website. We'd love to hear from you, love to hear your stories and uh, yeah, just hear from you in general. Absolutely. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode and you would like to tell a friend, please feel free. That would be lovely. In fact, tell two friends, tell three friends, tell your entire family, send <laughs> send it to that group WhatsApp chat you're a part of that you can bombard with recommendations. Get the, get the word out there. Uh, we thank you very much for that. And if as well, you could give us a review on iTunes, that would be incredible. Uh, just a star rating or a written review, we'd really, really appreciate it. And uh, Chris will personally allow you to hug his uh, fluffy avocado when you go around to his house. You can even have it. <laughs> don't let him. Don't let him give it to you. Don't let him give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell Harrison when I hand it. <laughs> I'm going to surprise visit your house one day and I'm going to make sure the avocado is still there. <laughs> I'll have to throw myself outside the front door and just quickly go and grab it and put it in the pile of place. You're going to demand a proof of life photo with the, with the avocado <laughs> with that day's newspaper or something. With today's paper. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, uh, if you could take time to leave us a review, that would be greatly appreciated. And until next time, thank you and goodbye. Thank you, bye-bye.